0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSC. You know what I want. I
1: want to talk to you. Hey, how's it going? Again, not the Raptors Weekly podcast, not really the draft definitive deep dive podcast, but a podcast for the extras, a podcast for the wild cards, because the Raptors could do many things when the draft comes around. Are they going to look into that rumored trade package of seven Wiseman and Wiggins or seven fourteen Wiseman and Wiggins? Is that a possibility? I don't like it that much. But it could happen. There's a lot of teams with multiple draft picks in this draft. Could the Raptors trade down if they don't really like the guy at number four? Could we be looking at draft pick number eight and number 27? Who knows? This stuff could happen. So, and also, the Raptors could get super crazy at number four and select a guy who's projected to go much lower. This kind of stuff happens all the time. I'm here with my guy, Pack Attack. You might know him from Real GM. He was, he was deep in the threads back in the day. He's moved on to NBA Twitter. He's had conversations with a lot of people that you know and love. And if you know and love me, I talk with this guy all the time. I revere his basketball intellect. It's something he takes part in. He's an armchair scout as a self ascribed. There's a lot of those these days, and they're really good at what they do because we're all in a pandemic, and we're all armchair to some degree or have been for the past year. But we're here to discuss the wild cards. Pack Attack. How are you doing, man? I'm well, man. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Uh,
0: wildcard is such a perfect way to put it. I'm definitely uh, a wildcard NBA Twitter member. Um, man, uh, really happy to be here and happy to hopefully follow in the footsteps of uh, such uh, revered Samson Foe collaborators, uh, Evan Gualberto and Louis Zatzman and our boy Hoop Goose and Robel and many others that have come in will hopefully come after me. Thank you. Really appreciate this opportunity.
1: Yeah, of course. You give me an idea. If I ever start, like I know Blake Murphy, um, friend of the pod or enemy of the pod, depends if we're in the DMs or on the timeline. But as far as his writing, he has a website where he hosts everything. If I do that, I might have to create a masthead for you and Robel and Evan and Lewis, the Samson folk collaborators. I really like the, the ring of that. It's also self-aggrandizing, which I couldn't say no to really. But okay, let's focus in on the NBA players. Well, not the NBA players, the future NBA players. So we have a list of guys that we're going to discuss. Josh Giddy, Jaden Springer, Scotty Barnes, Davion Mitchell. These are guys you know quite a bit about. And I'm going to lean on your expertise to kind of get myself and the audience more appropriately aware of what they've done at the collegiate level and what we can expect them to do at the NBA level, and probably worth digging in what they might be able to do in the context of the Raptors. So, of those four, who are you most interested in?
0: Um, man, well, first of all, I I just like to say that you know even through learning a lot of the stuff I've learned through you know just watching the and stuff comes you know a lot from you know, so much knowledge that's been imparted by, you know, the likes of like us, like PD Webb and, and Robel, Dustin, of course, on Raptors Twitter and, and you know, Hoop Goose and and S and, and Trey Heath and so many of the other guys that we sort of, you know, all interact with in the circle. So I learned so much from them. Um, you know, I think, I think I'd like to probably start with Giddy. Um, you know, Josh Giddy, it's interesting. Uh, I remember even two, three months ago um, when he was, just outside of the lottery and you know that i guess uh the australia season the nbl season hadn't really wrapped up at this point and there was like this 18 year old skinny kid with the nbl and no one really knew much you know tall 6a creator you know really through robel actually um i started to pay attention to him more as you know towards the latter half of his nbl season started to shoot more whereas that where you know that was sort of the knock on him uh, I think the most interesting thing about Josh Giddy is that he's one of the youngest players in the draft and he essentially slots into like this creator role where, you know, he's like the 6'8 point guard, primary ball handler for his team. And to me, I think the biggest intrigue about him is just his youth feel and general creation IQ and, and passing IQ. Um, I think guys at that size with that kind of, feel an instinct as a pick and roll playmaker and creator. You just have a really, really high floor there. And I think that always wins out in the league or generally tends to. Um, you know, I know a lot of people like to use the Joe Ingalls comparison, you know, six, eight white guy who, you know, is, takes a lot of, you know, reps the primary creator, sometimes secondary creator. Um, you know, Really, I mean, I don't think, I don't even know if Gideon will ever become the shooter Ingalls is. I mean, the shooting sort of rise that Joe Ingles has had over the past few years has just been tremendous to see. But I mean, look, I think he's super young. And I, you know, one thing that really stands out to me is when you think of creators, you have guys who, you know, either are advantage creators and really have to create passing, you know, angles and, and opportunities with their wiggle, their shake. You know, as as Robel likes to say a lot. You know, their handle, their quickness, their burst. The thing, and, and again, Robel's mentioned this. The thing that I like about Giddy is that in the half court, he doesn't need a lot of, uh, you know, burst or uh, manipulation with his handle to create passing looks and angles that he is routinely able to hit with either hand and I think that goes a long way I you know just off the top of my head one example you know Russell Westbrook, for example I don't think he's like a tremendous passer per se but I think he creates a lot of looks or he used to at least back in his athletic prime just based off you know the sheer burst quickness and strength he had and obviously, he was able to bump guys blow by guys draw that you know secondary help and hit those dump-offs or, or bounce passes or cross-court passes, even though, you know, I've I kind of found Westbrook to be an accurate passer. With Giddy, on the other hand, he's incredibly accurate with either hand and and definitely loves the overhead pass, the double-handed sort of, like, overhead passes as well. But, you know, a, a lot of the looks he is able to hit are, aren't created by him per se, and they don't need to be created by him, although he is capable of doing that himself. It's, it's reliant on a lot of, you know, secondary off-ball creation and cutters from from the players that he's surrounded by uh, on, on his team in the NBL. So I think that's the biggest thing for him uh, that I find intriguing, that you know he doesn't need to have this elite burst that people question, this elite athleticism for him to be successful as a
1: half-court initiator. Okay, so you brought up Russell Westbrook, and Fred Van Vliet is on the Raptors. So Westbrook, when I think of his playmaking, what comes to mind as the most impressive aspect is that, that burst and that ability to completely dominate help side defenders and leave drop-off passes, wrap arounds to a streaking to the rim big or a guy on a 45 cut, be it Andre Roberson, Paul George, KD, whoever it was during whatever era of Russell Westbrook's thunder stuff. Because in in Houston, I think he had a fundamentally different role. A lot of shots at the rim, basically. Fred Van Fleet a guy who creates a ton of threes, a lot of above the break, a lot of corner threes, but doesn't really create for anybody at the rim. What types of shots do you find that Josh Giddy is most often creating in the NBL?
0: Um, based off the limited. So I haven't seen full games. It's just been a lot of like highlight cuts and tapes. And then obviously, you know, specific scouting videos that um, you know, individuals in and around Twitter that even we know have put together. Um I think it, I think there's a good mix and diversity between, you know, those weak side cross court uh, passes to the corner, whether they're one handed on the move or, you know, they're standstill um, or he kind of like uses an escape dribble to get out of like a trap and then picks up the ball and, you know, like sort of uses that overhead cross court, two handed pass. Um, alternatively, as, as, a, as a pick and roll playmaker, uh, I haven't seen tons of, passes where he hits the roller per se, but that also may be a function of, he just didn't have like a traditional roll threat, roll gravity guy who would just set hard screens, plant, and then, you know, time has really properly catch and go up. But I did see him, you know, uh, make more, uh, you know, passes to the roller Uh, coming out of, like I mentioned before, escape dribbles and, and sort of throwing lobs up as well. Um, I think just given the situation he was in, that may have not been on display as, you know, those kickouts to the perimeter and and swinging the ball around and, and finding the weak side corner and whatnot. But I do think he's capable of it, just given the skill sets of, you know, being able to pass on the move one-handed with either hand uh, and, and things of that nature and just being able to find those angles. And it's clear that he does have the vision to sort of like make those passes regularly. Like, I, it's funny, you know, like, you mentioned Fred on our team. Like I think of a guy like Chris Boucher, like what happens if you pair Giddy with someone like that, who's constantly sort of like trying to attack the rim if he's not popping up to three and isn't afraid of contact, you know, and, and I wouldn't say Boucher has like just a massive cast radius, but I wonder what would happen if you gave Giddy some, you know, a center with a, with a really wide catching radius and, and how that would translate. But I honestly, like at, at the NBA level with a specific, you know, set of, diverse playmakers on the team, be it through role threats or through shooters um, or cutters, I think I I don't envision him struggling to be able to make a variety of those passes to those specific
1: players. Okay. And as far as, because this is the conversation that I think is kind of revolving around Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs, is that a lot of people view Jalen Suggs as a connective player. And the Raptors are very high on connective players. They have quite a few of them right now. And Jalen Green is seen as a guy who probably will be connective and mostly a scorer against tilted defenses early in his career, but uh, a guy who potentially could take the full brunt of being a primary initiator and find a lot of success at it. At least that's the optimistic take. Josh Giddy, are we looking at a guy who's strictly connective or do you expect some primary a- actions for him in his NBA career? I think, I, think, I think he has the potential to be a
0: primary creator and, and really you know, be involved as, as like that main ball handler in a lot of primary action. I do think for his development, it's probably in his best interest to be a secondary ball handler much more. You mentioned Jalen Suggs, uh, you know, who's another tremendous sort of prospect in this draft. Maybe like the Tyrese Halliburton role where like Fox really ate up a lot of the primary creation abilities, but Halliburton came in as that connector who can definitely soak up some primary creator roles, but should not sort of be that crunch time guy and maybe shouldn't be a primary creator on the, on a, as a, you know, for a tons of tons of possessions, especially as a rookie, I think you got to bring him on slowly there Um, only because, you know, I think to be a primary creator in the NBA or to be a, like a really high end one, you need some level of pull up shooting ability or a shot making to get, you know, the, the pick and roll coverage just to really respect you and come up on you. So you can, you know, use the threat of that shot to, to create advantages, blow by, create, you know, manipulate the help defense, do something right. Uh, create something out of that. He doesn't have that right now, at least consistently, even though, you know, the shooting numbers definitely improved towards the last two months uh, uh, of his season in Australia. So I think to bring him along there, it's in his best interest to be a secondary creator where he can play along a primary one and, you know, uh, Soak up those possessions and be that Tyre sort of operate in that Tyrese Halliburton role for a team. But I do think with time with development,
1: he does have potential to be a primary creator. That's a that's a great point. Halliburton, I think, is the reference point to make as far as this last year of basketball of a guy who it really depends on how he's deployed and was deployed as you know increasingly. a a connective player and that worked out really well for him and the kings relative to his value and all that kind of stuff and his season so yeah great point there as far as passing is like the big thing with giddy obviously he's got the size it grants him angles that he most players his size either don't see or don't take advantage of or they see it late he has angles that shorter players don't have and he has guard skills that kind of stuff as you say he's a very impressively accurate passer with both hands. There's probably a bunch of different arm slots he can pass from off of, you know, small dribbles, big dribbles, pound dribbles, all that kind of stuff. But what do you find with his manipulation of the different levels of the defense?
0: Um, I think he's really adept at using pass fakes. Um, You know, I, I'm not sure he's really adept at using his dribble to, you know, manipulate the uh backline or, or help defense like someone like Cade is per se. But I think, you know, especially when he picks up the ball, I know, you know, it's it's frowned upon to kill your dribble and uh, you know, not keep it, you know, not keep it alive and, and, and try to maintain that live dribble so you can make more dynamic passes. But I think pass fakes is something he's really, really good at using uh to manipulate and create those advantages, uh especially those overhead passes. I think he really, really likes that and uses it a lot to his advantage. And it's like a quick like you know fake and then a skip all the way to the weak side corner or you know sort of kicking it back out to the top of the you know, three-point line uh to the trailbigger, whoever sort of like uh sneaks up from the, the weak side sort of shifting over to catch that pass and, and getting that sort of like triple threat position to shoot or attack. Um, so yeah, I'd say, although he, like he does use his dribble to definitely create, uh, advantages and manipulate the defense, I'd say the most depth sort of trick he uses to do that would be like his, his pass fakes.
1: And yeah, that's pass fakes are way better for big guys than they are for small guys, typically. And killing your dribble is a lot more harmful for small players than big players. I mean, Luca kills his dribble all the time in the middle of the floor, but he's always able to, with his his big basketball brain and his you know hand-eye coordination and his floor awareness to kind of figure something out. And Giddy, you know, I haven't seen much of him and I, I definitely wouldn't compare him to Luca. Just that there is a you know size allows you a little bit more of a, a cushion when picking up your dribble, as as everybody knows. But okay, so if we're thinking about you brought up Chris Boucher this past year He was most effective as a role guy, you know, trailing in transition or running out in transition. He fit a lot of the mold of what the Raptors want to do there. They ran some flares for him. Pascal and OG, they both get flex action for post-ups. They both get isolations at the 45 extended, sometimes get pick and roll possessions. Fred Van Vliet, He's a guy who runs a lot of pick and roll. Every once in a while they'll run some horns action so that he can leak to the corner or he can, you know, space out above the break. A lot of that kind of stuff. If Giddy were able to come to the team, how do you think he would be utilized with the Raptors?
0: Um, with the Raptors, you know, horns is interesting, I think. I don't know. I can't remember the last, at least since we've been running horns, can't remember the last time we had like a plus creator of this kind of size, being able to operate uh, in those sets. I think I'd like to see more five out stuff, more spread pick and roll. Definitely set screens higher for him. So he can get like some sort of steam going to the basket. Um, You know, uh, more spacing, the low man kind of comes up to take him away from the paint. Maybe you get a weak side cut from, that help and he can sort of dump off or do like a drop-off pass or you know maybe the shooter stays in the corner and he just directly hits it, it gives him a lot of optionality um I do think and I, and I did want to touch on this a little bit I and, and Ben Pfeiffer had a great video on this I think Giddy people who saw him early in the season definitely had you know concerns about his strength his sort of burst ability to get to the brim finishing and all that I don't I didn't follow the NBL season, you know, very intimately or anything like that, but I know the general consensus was like towards the last two months, his shooting improved, but also like his burst, his willingness to take contact and his, and his general finishing numbers as well. He just looked better doing it um, as well as the numbers translating. And I think he showed a lot of that and that got a little underrated uh, in his, you know, in a lot of the analysis that I saw earlier in the season. And yeah, like I mentioned, Ben Ben's got a great video on it you know, that he just showed a lot of things that um, you know, that he didn't really show at the beginning of the season. And I think being uh you know, especially with the raps who have like a lot of like capable catch and catch and shoot guys, I think being in a system where, you know, you you have a lot of spread pick and roll and you can set those screens high and have him come down to get a you know head of steam to either finish or make plays for others would be the most beneficial to him.
1: It's, it's interesting that there's a grab-and-go element to his game, which the Raptors are trying to coax out of OG currently and have fully benefited from Pascal adopting into his game. So to have three guys who do it, there's one of two things, right? Is that A, they're going to crowd each other and take away, and there's going to be too much skill overlap in one place, or B you do really lean into five out units and, you know, maybe Kyle Lowry gets re-signed and the Raptors don't really look for the center position in free agency. And, you know, things get crazy at, uh, at draft time, somehow Giddy is on the Raptors. And there could be five man units where you have OG, Pascal, Kyle, Giddy, somebody else, maybe it's a big, maybe it's Fred, whatever, but whoever gets the ball can bring it up the floor and you can run a drag screen and just kind of get teams in rotation that way instead of the typical advantage creation of like a blinding first step or really good screen manipulation of a lead guard or something like that. It's really interesting. Uh, that's, that's a really good point you make. Is there anything else you want to touch on for Giddy?
0: Man, I, I, I just think for him, there's just, just as youth and his, iq and feel i just think that always plays out and i think you know i'm sure we'll touch on this more with the other prospects but i think it's so hard to find elite isolation scores these days and and really put all your uh, eggs in, in that basket to bank on that and i think you know atlanta's kind of shown that like having multiple high iq guys that can create you know bogey trey young uh kevin herter um it it can really take you a long way you know you might not be this elite create you know the uh, self-creation isolation scoring a team that that's really well built around an an archetype like that you know kind of like how the Raptors were with Kawhi or you know name any of the best isolation scores in NBA history right now what their playoff success has been like once you know they have you know good teams built around them but I think just just that combination of playmaking size you there's there's just a high floor there and literally like either his defense or his body or his shooting, like one of those things, if it hits, I think he has like all-star potential really as a creator. So I I think that's the biggest, you know, thing that intrigues me the most about him. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to see him. Like if it's not us, I honestly would love to see him on the Warriors. I think that would be so fascinating.
1: That's yeah, that is really fun. And number seven would be pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah, man. man. If rather than like Kelly Oubre, if that ball ends up in uh, Giddy's hands against the tilted defense and whether it's Wiseman like creeping in from the dunker spot, lob opportunities, or Clay and Steph relocating around the defense, that's – I really like that comp. I also – I do think the Raptors are going to stick with it at four. And this, you know, this is all just hypothetical anyway. So I do really like him to the Warriors. But that's that's really interesting. Yeah. As far as – Springer.
0: Jaden Springer. First of all, I'd be remiss if we did not mention the Raptors connection. DeAndre Vembry is his cousin tag. They frequently tag each other uh, in their Instagram story. So uh, that's always fun. Love Raptors connections. Um, let's see. I think, I think PD, man, PD Webb and Henry Ward did like really, really good videos and articles on, on Springer in general. Like to me, and, and this isn't a perfectly, like I said, man, armchair scout. Like I just, most of my stuff just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks like I watch Springer and I just think like and this isn't a perfect comparison because he's taller than Kelden Johnson but I just think he's like Kelden Johnson with like Kyle Lowry's like spirit like whatever that means like in my head like I just think here's this really really stocky strong guard that is not an elite creator by any means, but is like a very, very good secondary creator. And obviously in Rick Barnes's offense at Tennessee, like it just was not conducive to him. They they ran a lot of weird stuff. And you know, like I, I don't think they had a lot of great spacing on that team uh and, and didn't have like a ton of pick and roll reps. But there's just so many flashes from his high school tape, from the stuff I've seen and read, and then from his college tape where like he really, really is good at like wraparound and, and dump offs and um definitely an unselfish guy. And he's just like so strong and and so powerful going to the rim. He's not a traditional one foot leaper. He he hops off TV. And I think that's where I sort of, you know, think about Kyle. Like especially, you know, Kyle has like these really short strides and 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 quick feet and even when he goes when he gets a full head of steam to the rim he loves that like power step power jump like layup where he hop steps and, and lands on two feet and goes off two feet and sort of uses both hands as opposed to like laying it in or finger rolling it you know so to speak um that sort of power and like not being afraid of contact at all and um yeah i think i think he's tremendous going to the rim i think he's a great great off ball um he Uh, has legitimate flashes of, like, secondary and primary creation, although I don't think he should be a primary creator definitely to start off, and I'm not sure he'll ever be a, like, true, true primary creator at the NBA level, but I think that's the thing offensively for me. You know, recently his draft video actually came out, the pro day he had, and I was watching his jumper, and it looked way more fluid and balanced. He's got this nice sort of high release and this, uh, pun intended for a boy, Goose, but, like, this Goose sort of neck-looking stroke, uh, at the apex of his jumper, which I really, really like. And I thought it's it's, it's uh, cleaned up quite a bit. I know he's training in Miami. He's been working really hard, just like going at it in the gym, preparing for the draft and whatnot. So that's looking nice. And that's not even getting to what most people would probably say is his biggest strength. And that's like his defense. I mean, like just a ferocious point of attack defender, really, really strong, really, really on balance, moves his feet, uses his hands well, uh, great off ball, uh, great the profiles, super, super well analytically. And yeah, I'm, I mean, I think... All, all of our sort of buddies in the uh, Raps Twitter space are big uh, Springer fans, Samson, uh, Hoop Hoos, Trey, you know, Robel, um, everyone, you know, Keenan and whatnot. It's, uh, it's, yeah, big, big, big fan of Jane Springer, big believer. I, I'm one of the crazy ones that would honestly consider reaching for him at four, but um, no, I think, uh, yeah, uh, big, big Springer fan.
1: I like Springer a lot as well. In the Raptors Republic, there was like, I don't know, it was name your top five prospects at number four, and I think I had him at number four. So I had Mobley, Green, Suggs, and then Springer. And just because I really think his game will translate very, very oh, yeah. well to the next level. Actually, the thing I was going to touch on right after you finished talking about Giddy was that Kevin Herter having a better offensive playoffs than Mike Bridges. Should have been something a lot of people foresaw coming. And I think mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that really lends itself to the point you were making about how Giddy will translate to the NBA is just like guys who can run the high pick and roll, whether it be like with the drag screen, really, really creating a lot of space up top, or if it's second side and stuff like that. So that's the point I was going to make. But yeah, Springer, really, really impressive defensively, offensively, there's so much to like. Something Robel touched on like maybe eight months ago at this point, Uh, something that I've referenced on the podcast and something you just referenced now is that, yes, that power hop into the lane, the ability to carve out space so that he doesn't have to make these elongated, super complicated finishes, which you see a lot of players have to do. Springer is a guy who gets in and makes the space known and takes advantage of it. It's a really unique layup package not that many players in college or in the NBA have it. And I think that really bodes well for the next level, a guy who's comfortable in space and in the margins, in the trenches. I wouldn't be that surprised if he became a guy who had a really high free throw rate relative to his usage, whether that's, you know, after the first couple of years, after he gets used to the physicality and all that, which he should get used to quicker than most guards. But there's just, I think there's going to be a lot of utility in Jaden Springer. And if the jumper comes along, as you say, it's looking good. Uh, references to the Hoop Goose and the Hoop gaggle aside, it's, it's looking nice. It's, I'm, I'm really excited for him. Is there anything else you want to highlight about him?
0: I'm so excited for him, man. Like, I absolutely love him. Just seems like an absolute dog out there on both ends of the court. And, you know, one thing, I'll, I'll just shout out Rebel again. You know, he just recently tweeted about strength advantage creation being super super underrated and i think uh springer has that in spades uh you know um more so than most of the other sort of guard prospects in this draft i think uh you know and i think that'll go really really well for him in adjusting to the nba and the physicality there and i know there's like a tendency that like he might rely too much on it and like obviously as you get to the nba you know like everyone's strong you know everyone's able to absorb the contact that you know the stuff you were dishing out in college was just knocking dudes back. But, you know, I, I, I do believe in him. You know, he, he seems like a worker. Like he was, his, his effort level has always been there. It's never really dropped off. He's not one of those guys where you have to like worry about his motor. And yeah, again, for him, right. Like even if the shooting translates a bit or if, you know, with more pick and roll reps, it's actually even better with NBA spacing uh, than, than we had you know previously anticipated. I didn't mention. You know, and others I mentioned too, like spacing at Tennessee just was super, super suboptimal. optimal um, Yeah, man, uh, I think Springer could surprise a lot and he could be like that utility guy you bring up the bench and that could be a secondary creator and like guard the guard at the point of attack really well and navigate screens and, and generate a lot of havoc. And he's great in the fastback too. He's really, really good in the pass break, really good in transition. And yeah, definitely given his like utility skill set, there's just many ways for him to succeed, I think, and be
1: impactful as a player. You said that he translates analytically well to the NBA. What statistical markers are you talking about in particular for that? Um, his, his unassisted, uh, rim finishing numbers. I don't have them at the top
0: of my head right now, but relative to usage, like he's up there with like Suggs and, and, um, uh, you know, Reef and like Reef Cooper, for example, and and mm-hmm. a lot of, of these other guards that, that, you know, really had to self create a lot and, and got to the rim and had high free throw rates. Um, his stock numbers as well. Honestly, the, I think Brian, uh, shorter so Brian J. Draft has was a big, big sort of proponent of how well uh, Springer translated analytically, especially earlier in the season. Quite a few sort of things, and you know Bartosik as well. Uh, that site that has all the sort of stats you can look at and filter through for all the draft prospects. It's um, yeah, man. It's yeah. Actually, you know what? Now that you mention it, so here's one I got. So since 2008. Um, nine major. and shout out to Brian J. Jack for this. Only nine high-major freshmen since two thousand eight have hit these thresholds of uh, block percentage of two, steal percentage of two and a half, thirty-five percent free throw rate, and twenty percent uh, assist rate. Uh, here's a list of players: Harden, Simmons, Cunningham, Smart, Springer, Kyle Anderson, De'Anthony Melton, Goddari Richmond, and Alex Caruso. So, real, real good company he's in. Um, a lot of guys who
1: overachieved relative to the draft stock too. In there. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's another thing to note as well, precisely. And a lot of mocks haven't ranked outside of the lottery for the most part.
1: Yep. That's, I think that's my dream scenario. is like one of Mobley or Green fall at four and then Boucher and two second rounders gets packaged into whatever pick gets Springer. That to me, that is like fan fiction. And it's it's so maybe a little bit ridiculous to hope for, but if that were to happen on draft night, I don't I would be beyond elated. Oh yeah, man!
0: I uh, it it it, it'd be really really cool. I know the guys will kill me, but I was like floating ideas to trade down to with Golden State or someone to try to get like Springer and you know like uh, Jalen Johnson. This you know shout out to Hugues. This is the only time I will mention Jalen Johnson in a positive light on this podcast.
1: (laughs) man you brought up something interesting actually is like all the all the different places and before we do the little ad break all the little places that you find draft stuff and i'm not i'm not talking about like draft twitter and like guys who i'm not talking about like giving people's but what websites do you use for your all-purpose kind of you're doing your armchair scouting want to do a deep dive on a player you're going to look for statistical markers these outliers that indicate success at the next next level or more than likely do where do you go to look uh in
0: general uh for nba players b-ball index is great um i know pipm i don't think because i think jacob got hired by someone so i think they, they the wizards dead, yeah
1: jacob is yeah. with the wizards now
0: yeah, good for him, man. Shout out to all of draft Twitter securing <laughs> jobs and, and doing what they love, man, and, and getting recognized for it. But, yeah, no, so uh, they still have the LeBron database now, so that's really valuable. Uh, Dunks and threes is another really good one that I was just recently put on to by Hukus and Aspen um, and our buddy S. Uh, I'm trying to think where else. Uh, from a draft perspective, Bartovnik is good um there are also i just i have my work laptop i don't have my personal laptop on me because i'm on uh this trip but um there's a oh man someone made a dashboard where you can just sort of filter through draft prospects and it'll sort of bring up comparable players based on stats and match them to like a percent probability like a percent not probably sorry a percent match Based off the different prospects, um, I don't know if you want to edit this up, but maybe like when, when I get back, if you want to put it in the show notes or something, I can give you the link, or right. I can get uh, Sam to send it over. Um, but yeah, that that's really valuable that I've used, and um, not from a player perspective, but like Ken Palm, classic. A lot of people, you know, on uh, draft Twitter use it for like team rankings and whatnot. Um, it was started by Ken Palmore. So it's, it's his website, but, but that's also valuable as well. So I use like a combination of all those things, all those resources on the internet. Okay,
1: excellent. Uh, listener, you're going to hear a, an ad and then you're going to hear us back to talk about Devion Mitchell and Scotty Barnes. We'll see you soon. And welcome back. Still joined by Pack Attack. That Yeah, back with Pack Attack. There we go. Nice uh, alliteration in some form or another. But yeah, we're, we're talking about uh, draft guys, the wild cards, as it were. And we're going to discuss Davion Mitchell. Uh, national champion, big deal, uh, small guard. So there are some not connected to Raptors Twitter or Raptors people who are doing mock drafts, who seem to think that Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry exist there, as does Malachi Flynn. Uh, They want another small guard. And he's not just that. He's not just a small guard. But I think that is how most people in the Raptors fan base know him, outside of him winning. What do you make of him?
0: Okay. Um, Before we start, Davion Mitchell. I feel like amongst our fan base, he just got a bad rap, another small guard. I actually really like him. Uh, I, I I joked because Sam Vecini's mock draft just had us picking him because ever since drafting Fred and DeLawn, apparently we just love older guards who are super impactful, have good like really you know good advanced metrics, and can just come in, uh, kind of mesh into a role and just thrive from day one. Um, I also joked with with Sam, who I, I love by the way, shout out to Sam Basini, like totally. totally you know, sarcastic humor and I'm just messing around on Twitter. But I was like, man, we could get the number one pick and I'd be convinced his mock draft tomorrow would be like the number one. <laughs> so like Davion Mitchell, just because which the Raptors, the Messiah and Bobby M.O. of like experienced guards that can come in and play right now. Um, <laughs> I just need to get that out there. But Davion Mitchell, ultimately, like I think, I think the combine with the measurements really hurt him. I thought he would be like 6'2", six 6'3". Six but it really, I think he measured it at like six feet or like closer to six one, something like that. And I think that does hurt him. I will say though, uh, his athleticism really does pop and he does get to the rim and he has like a nice combination of like hezzy and like these hang dribbles and it's kind of like where Dame isn't doesn't have like tons of like shifty side to side wiggle like a Kyrie, but he uses this like between the leg crossover really we'll have to set a guy up and then sort of hesitate just ever so slightly and explodes. I know Polar, uh, I know Skyfall mentioned he didn't really like the Dane Lillard movement-esque comparisons to him, but I thought Kemba Walker, like the way he kind of pulls up on a dime and gets real quick elevation on his shot, just coming off those high-speed and rolls, reminded me a lot of like the way Kemba moves and the way he offers this dribble, another guy who doesn't have like tons and tons of wiggle, but uses his athleticism really well and hesitation dribbles enough to like get into the paint. And w- when he might, while he might not be like an elite finisher, I think he gets enough into the paint and uses his body really well. Uh, more so than Kamba at least, um, to to really get to the line and or even finish. And obviously an improved shooter although it's it's you know one year sample size so i know the verdict's out on that a bit but i do think it'll translate and i mean dude like just an otherworldly defender one of those guys that sizes up really well complete ball hawk plays off ball great instincts and getting into the passing lanes and, and hunting for steals real real strong uses his body like he'll be a great point of attack defender from day one and i think honestly he will step in like at the very least. At to the NBA on day one and defend his ass off and yeah I mean look at four in the top five top six just because of his age I think he's 23 almost and you know uh, with the age and like how much more upside does he really have that's why I'm against drafting him that high but like late lottery like if you're a golden state or if you're you know a playoff team ready to sort of like go on a run and you want to add some, you know, punch off the bench, um, you know, a good leader um, that has a lot of sweat equity on the defensive end uh, and is a two-way guy that can get you a bucket. Um, I mean, fantastic choice. I really, really like Davion Mitchell. I just think it's funny how, like, in the discourse over him and how he was mocked to us and how he fits our MO, I just think he's gotten, like, very underrated as a player and there's this, like, perception that, like, He's super overrated. I don't think that's the case at all. I just would not draft shocked because he's not the most high upside guy, in my opinion.
1: That's. I think it would be really high level comedy for the Raptors to draft him because <laughs> I just. It, I think there was I really, I wouldn't be
0: shocked. <laughs> like I wouldn't. Yeah.
1: There. There was. I think a collective realization last year by I would say casual fans, and casual fans isn't a pejorative. It's just you know, you enjoy the game the way you want to enjoy the game. Some people don't care about all the externalities and the cap stuff and like how other players outside of their realm are evaluated. Like casual fans, it's just enjoy the team. And that's so good. But casual fans, I think, had this idea that the Raptors had a cupboard full of young players. And then once people realized that, OG was the youngest player on the team, and he had been in the league for a while. They're like, oh, wow. Okay, wait. Let's, <laughs> we have to focus on something here. Do the Raptors have any desirable young players? Because they just realized that Harris and Malachi Flynn were both older than OG. And I think that made everybody realize, like, oh, wow. This team is very old relative to basically every team in the NBA as far as prospects that they have coming up. And then I think there was some coping that went on that was like, well, we can just draft anybody at any time and they'll turn into a superstar. It's what we do. But that's not that's not really the case. Like they draft excellent. Well done, of course. Shout out to them. But you have to have young and talented guys in. And Mitchell, I think, would just be the funniest outcome because it would just be completely turning your back on youth, basically, even though he is young relative to the league, relative to his peers in the in the draft. It's just it's not close, but he, he is good. Like he's good. I really like, it's funny. Uh, Golden State had both of the picks that we liked with Giddy and with Mitchell. If they got him at 14, I think that would be awesome. As far as playing alongside that, that core.
0: That'd be fantastic. I mean, if Golden State got them right, Jordan Poole, um, you know, Who is Josh really good. exactly. Josh Giddy, Davion Mitchell. That's like a lot of like punch and like creation and, high IQ and feel off the bench at least between uh you know Giddy and um Davion Mitchell so like I think that'd be like a big big win for them man
1: Giddy is just like the most bare bones NBA draft.net. Giddy's at 16 and Springer is at 20 and the guys we talk to the guys we pay attention to they're sitting between like 10 and 5 most of the time Giddy especially Springer are ranked like really really low on like public draft boards
0: but like pd web like robel they i mean they comfortably have kitty and springer and like the top 10 like it at least in the prospect ranking so like it's 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 odd to me that they'd be ranked that low but yeah if golden state got both of them it'd be an absolute coup in my opinion for them like what a draft that would be
1: mm-hmm.
0: maybe Great. they wouldn't be able to contribute to winning like immediately given like where they are with Steph and what they want to do but like i'd really like it really really fun draft that happened to them.
1: It, it really seems to fit the ethos of how they play basketball and who knows how long the leash is for Kerr there and what it means if Steph leaves or, you know, if they retool in a different way, or if the league has caught up to Steph to some degree, because the league is better equipped to guard him now than they were th- three to five years ago. But it's not as easy, easy to just stroll Steph out there and completely cripple the other team. Defenders are better at better equipped now, but it's yeah, it's mighty mighty interesting. Okay, Scotty Barnes, I will be doing if if the murmurs get really really loud and everybody starts saying that Scotty Barnes is ending up on the Raptors, then I'll be doing a definitive Scotty Barnes podcast. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to cool off a bit. But you're here, talked about Barnes a bit with Petey Webb. Talked about him a bit with Hoop Goose and now talking about him with you. What do you make of Scotty?
0: Man, an Enigma. I think one of the guys I struggle to evaluate or like even get a sense of the most in this draft. I mean just tremendous physicals, obviously, like six nine, seven three, comparable to OG, right? Like Pretty strong body, although Noji's like a complete specimen. You know, I, that bottoming Bart's as muscular as strong, especially in the lower body. But I mean, similar height and wingspan, um, just uh, a, a tear and transition, an incredibly high IQ, high field player that's tremendous passing instincts. Um, you know, I, I know half court offense is, is really the ding on him, and obviously, he's like another world lead on ball and off ball defender. I mean, how we're, how often do you see six nine guys picking up guards full court um you know it's, it's just a lot of special ability there i know he draws the Draymond and bam comparison somewhat i obviously like it's it's tough man like comparing anyone to those guys just setting anyone up for failure even if like who knows maybe he doesn't do like but like i'm just not the type to do that it's interesting from a movement standpoint and just driving like he does kind of allow me of OG a bit like you know like you see him in the full court and like he does this wraparound behind the back pass that you're like whoa where the hell did that come from and like this weird 20 30 degree angled step for a euro step versus a traditional like you know 45 or 60 and then you know like set up dribble gather step step through finish just just weird weird stuff where I'm just like wow that didn't look like super pretty but it worked and he had the length to finish there and and got there so I think like there's some OGness to him. Shout out to Emma Brown, <laughs> comparing, getting an OG comparison in for one of our the draft prospects this draft. So that's always fun. But um, yeah, obviously, you know, like the big swing scales is shooting and obviously that, especially catch and shoot, because, you know, as a pick and roll guy, he's he's not the greatest, especially in the half court. Um, there's a lot of criticism like about him in that regards. I actually think that's why, like, I, I look at him and Jalen Johnson with like in the same ilk and that they have like similar strengths and weaknesses and they have the similar archetype kind of, you know, like they'll probably be of four at the next level and they have, you know, legitimate passing ability and stuff. But if I had to bet, I'd rather, if I had to get two guys, I'd rather just bid on Barnes just because of his physical tools and his defensive ability and how locked in he is on that end. I did watch his pro day, like the, some of the clips and the shot, like the he does look way more imbalanced in the lower body. And there's not that much interference with, like, his guide hand as he goes up. And it kind of looks fluid coming up. It, it still needs reps and consistency. And I would like him to hold his guide hand more. I notice he drops it quite a bit instead of, like, holding both. He does hold his fall through, though. But, like, yeah, no, the shot definitely looks better than it did at Florida. So if that holds up and he can – that swing skill of, like, can he be, like, a decent catch-and-shoot guy? I think all of a sudden in the half court, like, his concerns – decreased significantly in my mind. I think for him, the best thing and the thing I'd be interested to see is like, how is he as a role guy? Can he be unlocked there? Can you unlock his passing ability to make him this short role weapon? And 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 does his finishing become legitimate enough where like he can command that kind of respect? Cause like otherwise teams will just always play him for the pass, right? But yeah, I think that and some high elbow stuff like put him with some legit cutters. And, and see if, you know the kinds of reads he can make and, and how he operates there but I don't know it's tough like to me it comes down to like can he be a decent catch and shoot guy will he ever be a pick and roll creator and does one of those two things has to hit and I think all of a sudden you're looking at a guy who'll make multiple all-star teams and potentially multiple all-defensive teams but you know it, it's tough man like you watch his high school tape and you watch his college tape and you know, every day I have a different opinion on him. Just just an absolutely fascinating cast case, and it'll be so much fun to monitor his progress and see, like, what sticks.
1: If I were to say he seems like a Nick Nurse guy, what would you think I meant?
0: If you said he was a Nick Nurse guy, I think uh, dude is like basketball jazz, where he just thrives off uh, read and react, uh, you know, playing, kind of like reacting and, and meshing with the guys around him and the, and the players around him and the sort of ecosystem they, uh, play in. Um, I think defensively Nick's help concepts of like helping up, pinching off those wings to cut off those driving lanes and, and rotating everywhere and being this rover on defense that can get to, you know, those corner contests and, and get, you know, cover a lot of ground and, and, uh, you know, get some uh, contests on the ball and on shots going up, and 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 really contain um, <clears throat> the the ball handlers. I I think that's it. I think when I if you said he was a Nick Nurse like to me, like what that means to me is that defensively is is where Nick would like maybe sit in a workout and like a maybe like a scrimmage amongst these draft prospects and watch him just like help and communicate and and work his ass off closing out, and then he'd fall in love with this guy at least on the defensive
1: end. That was a hell of an answer, dude. I'm really, really, I'm really happy with the answer you gave there. I I appreciate that, man. (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was excellent. Extremely happy with that. Is there anything else you have on Barnes that we should know about? Man,
0: um, I don't think anything that's already been said by like much more intelligent people than me, uh, tremendous, tremendous prospect, uh, physically and especially on the defensive end gifted passer, uh, always seems to make like really good reads and yeah it's it's similar to giddy in the sense that like there's a the shooting swing skill like even if that comes along like tremendous chance to like well exceed his draft positioning and draft stock depending on where he goes right but shoot i mean that you could say that for so many prospects. like shooting so tough man like we always say it like we can fix this we can fix that like tweak the you know tuck the elbow in change your you know go from a shooting v instead of like the three you know middle index ring finger on the ball but it's it's so much easier said than done but yeah just one of those fascinating prospects man i'm so excited to watch his progress and see what system he lands and i think he's one of the guys where like depending on where he lands and what create like primary responsibility is given will really dictate how successful he is for what it's worth i don't think he should be a primary creator Uh, as a rookie or like be tasked with that definitely initiate transition run the fast break and be used as a secondary creator and, and primarily as a defensive stopper yeah
1: excellent okay so we've basically run to the end of the podcast and now we've the inside scoop of pack attacks loop you you've got some some insider information for us based on your travels. If if you want to talk about it, you go right ahead. That's what the the end of the podcast space is for.
0: Yeah, man, I feel like everyone just listens to this and is like, yo, who is this like fast talking reserved dude? But no, I got I got some good got some good stories. Time to show up the personality a bit. So I I was I, I was fully back. So I got my second dose, like June. Ninth, June twenty sixth. I basically flew out to California. I have family out here, but one of my best friends also works in California as well. So essentially, I flew out for a two week trip, and I didn't want to take a bunch of days off work. So I basically made like a work vacation out of it. So I worked like five. I will have worked five days over the this past week and then this week. And the first week, uh, I was in LA uh, the entire time, and I did San Diego. Santa Monica, Laguna Beach, all the nice, cool touristy places you want to go in and around LA and then outside of LA. I just landed in San Francisco actually today. Um, So I'm on PST. So I had a 6.30 a.m. flight at LAX uh, and I bump into Moses Moody, who here's the official scoop. I don't know if anyone on draft Twitter has already picked this up, but here you go straight from me on his way to work out for the Pacers. So there you go. Indiana's potentially looking at Moody. Who knows? If he gets drafted, you heard it here first. <laughs> give, me, give me my flowers, man. Give me my flowers. But um, just a random dude walking to the airport catching an early morning flight um, was able to spot this guy with a USA basketball backpack. So um, that was that not much interaction. The more interesting one was uh, when I landed in SF. I'm at baggage claim. I see this abnormally large man with a leg tattoo sitting on the ground with a mask on waiting for his bags. And I realize it's Wendell Carter Jr. Shout out uh, Resident Raptors, Wendell fan, Matt Chance. Um so yeah, no, I me and my buddy, we dapped him up and we just started talking and word for word we asked him like, yo, what's like because I had my Rap City on, and we were like, What's the perception of the Raptors like in the NBA? And he was like, Man, I fuck heavy with the Raptors. I'm boys with Gary Trent Jr. He fucks with the Raptors too, really likes them. Um yeah, basically he's an SF just working out, not with the magic just by himself. And he was like, uh, you know, I'm just gonna enjoy my off season, you know, COVID season was really, really tough uh mentioned you know like uh um you know it'd be tough for guys to you know have to play in the olympics or play all this extended basketball in the summer i think it's interesting that a lot of players are just kind of looking to or that's the sense i got at least they're just looking to chill out and, and uh you know just work on the game and train regularly but also heal and just enjoy from this exhausting exhausting year and season that they have but that's really cool and then Man, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention being in L.A., obviously, you know, like everyone loves random celebrity encounters. So I'll go with one celebrity and let's just say one up and coming celebrity, quote unquote, bump into Jason Siegel, getting tacos at Central Station. Wanted to drop a Forgetting Sarah Marshall reference, but I'd figure eh, I'll just let the guy live. <laughs> let's not bother him <laughs> too much. Dude totally just sat down like he was a regular old like. Tourist walking through Central Station just minding his own business that was really cool and then yo bizarre up and coming young rappers trying to make it ran into uh, this guy in the alleyway who was shooting a music video and um, super interesting crew uh, real real young just out in LA trying to make it man shout out Zelly Ocho Z-E-L-L-Y-O-C-H-O if he makes it big you heard it here first um just a bizarre story man and uh yeah really cool also you can edit this part of the story out if you want but funniest thing was man these guys were just high off lean man just straight up pouring dirty sprite cups like all in this alleyway shooting this music video and man what what an interesting character just the, the variety of characters you meet out in la so that was my first time here and and yeah so Celebrity encounters and random scoops from Wendell Carter Jr. and Moses Woody. So there you go, man. Uh, hopefully that satisfies the masses for my uh, first ever basketball podcast and first appearance on on this one with you,
1: Samson. <laughs> I think they would have been really upset if they knew you had those stories and, and held out on us, but...
0: Whatever I <laughs> just shit I throw at the wall that hopefully
1: sticks. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'll call it. Okay. Uh end of the podcast. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Um man, listen listen, consume, support
0: everything Samson folk does, bouncing around, minute basketball, uh, minute basketball with Lewis. I mean all the tremendous work you do and everyone on Raptors Twitter, man. Like really, um we have so many knowledgeable and, and, and passionate content creators. And, yeah, just, you know, I, I, just shouting out every single one of them. and Just the community we have, man. Like, I think Raptor story is one of the best, like, places to get so much balance, like, fun analysis, really, you know, serious in-depth X's and O's analysis. And, yeah, it's a fun bunch. And I'm super fortunate to be here, man, to be quite two people out. I, I really don't know what I did to honor, but I'm greatly greatly appreciative of it man and I hope we can do this in the future dude and I look forward to interacting with you more and supporting your stuff.
1: Thank you. That's that's incredibly nice. You do make a good point about like not just Raptors Twitter, but Raptors media. I had the I would almost say like misfortune of listening to other teams podcasts just because of something else I'm working on on the side. And the quality of podcasts is so low for other team podcasts. And yet in Toronto I think there's like four that would fly as like the de facto quality good podcast in a bunch of other markets. And the just the sheer amount of really good writers here too, compared to what I see from other markets too. And like maybe this is bias. I'm not super sure. I don't think it is, but man, Toronto has just an un just an incredible amount of talented people in the field. And we are spoiled we're yeah, so more spoiled. of them should be paid. <laughs> I'll say that Dep- much. Yeah,
0: definitely. Get your bag, everyone.
1: everyone. Yeah. But uh, that feels like a good place to end it. I'd, You know what? I'd like to end every podcast, every piece of work I ever put out by with the sentiment of more people need to get paid. I think that's a that's a great sign-off. What do you think?
0: I'm about that, man. I'm 100% about everyone getting their due and, and, and getting paid for their quality work. 100%. That's the that really. definitely.
1: That's right. And you're getting paid while you're doing this. You're getting paid while you're on a vacation and uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're changing the game little by little, but pack attack. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I've enjoyed it immensely.
0: Thank you, sir. I did as well. And hopefully we can do this again in the future, man. All
1: right. All right. All right. Take and, care, uh, dude. Yeah, you too. And listener, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.